0: Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by
1: Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington DC area. I'm Laura, I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Puries and Rogue Darts.
0: And I'm Gabe, I'm also on the board of Team DC and a diehard sports fan i play with many of the Team DC Sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip Under the Bleachers.
1: Welcome everyone, Laura and Gabe here. It's July 13th and you're listening to episode four of Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns, and this week, it's Gabe's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, he chose the latest RuPaul's Drag Race franchise, Canada's Drag Race. For our conversation on all things sports, we're talking about renaming the Washington football team, and for the intersection of sports and queer, we will discuss five newly out and proud snowboarders. After that, we're going to share our interview with D.C. area women's rugby player Krista McFerrin. And here we go. (laughs) As for us, Gabe and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com on Apple Podcasts and on Google Podcasts. So please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Taking the extra few seconds to hit those buttons or type a quick review means a lot to help us get the word out. So please do it. And share us with a friend or two if you know people that would be interested in listening in. And now here's Gabe with our first topic in this week's Under the Bleachers.
0: My topic in the world of all things queer this week is Canada's Drag Race. Which queen will rule the great white north and have the world screaming, Oh, Canada? Tune in each week as 12 of the top drag performers in Canada compete in unique challenges and vie for the grand prize that includes $100,000, a year's worth of hotel stays, and the title of Canada's Drag Superstar. Fans of RuPaul's Drag Race are aware of the similar mini and maxi challenges that we've loved over the years. But this franchise puts a uniquely Canadian twist on the competition. With the worldwide success of Drag Race Thailand, the Switch Drag Race in Chile, RuPaul's Drag Race UK, and of course RuPaul's Drag Race, it was no surprise that World of Wonder decided to film a series starring our neighbors to the north. This series does have a few changes and surprises. Each episode is hosted by a guest celebrity host. While the queens are judged by a panel consisting of RuPaul Drag Race season 11 runner-up Brooklyn Heights, international supermodel Stacy McKenzie, and actor and heartthrob Jeffrey Bauer Chapman. Unfortunately, RuPaul will only be highlighted in videos and did not take part in the filming. Canada's Drag Race is streamed online on World of Wonder Presents Plus. All right, Laura, are you watching and who's your favorite for this season?
1: Okay, (laughs) I am watching. I started (laughs) watching. There's been two episodes so far and I've watched them both. Um, And I think that so far my favorite is Boa bitch on (laughs) arrival because bitch on arrival is such a good name and boa is not a bitch right like boa's personality is just so good like i don't know how anybody could help but love boa i think boa is pretty awesome um and i like how boa looks when boa first made her entrance she was like high kicks dropped out like whatever Then she's like i don't do any of that
0: (laughs) i was like yeah high kicks do none of that that I, she lost me at that i, I thought that was the funniest thing
1: <laughs> she's so good she's she's good so so yeah i think so far bo is my favorite what about you
0: <laughs> um i have a soft spot for jimbo so jimbo Jimbo's is hilarious. definitely
1: J- Jimbo's definitely up there in my top as well um, one
0: of those really quirky interesting fun drag queens that just puts a different spin it's fun to see this really campy group of performers and you have cabaret performers and you have you know uh, the dancing drag queens the pageant queens it's a very unique mix of contestants yeah. which i love
1: wait so okay so let's back up a couple of steps one i've never seen an episode of rupaul's drag race until yesterday um, Yay. <laughs> and i didn't so i had no idea what i was looking at right but so I so I went and I watched the first season of RuPaul's Drag Race before I watched the first episode of Canada, just to try to give myself an idea of what, you know, this was the, a spinoff of.
0: The long lost season with the Vaseline filter that was filmed in someone's back, you know, patio.
1: <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and assume that what <laughs> I watched, what I witnessed in RuPaul's Drag Race season one is not what RuPaul's Drag Race is today.
0: Uh, i just want
1: to i just want to set the scene as saying that that's literally all i have to compare it to that's i haven't seen any of the um further episodes of rupaul's drag race um so just seeing the entrances on the canada drag race i was like whoa look at this production value right like you're (laughs) you're comparing it to season one i mean it's it's pretty uh, glitz and glam, and you're pretty impressed. But then I very quickly was like, wait a minute, RuPaul's not in this? <laughs> what the fuck is this, right? So, so apparently RuPaul was like, uh, Canada? Like, yeah. no, <laughs> I'll give you like a couple video clips of myself, and that is it, um, which I think is pretty interesting. And I don't know if she's in any of the um, other international versions or not, but I thought it was pretty funny that she doesn't even bother to, to show up. But what really bothered me about it, and I want to, you know, hear your take is like, they still, they have these fucking guests, judges and hosts and whatever that are still trying to use RuPaul's like catchphrases. Yeah. And I'm like girl that is not right like that does not sound right coming out of your mouth I am not like Alicia I don't even know how to pronounce her name but Alicia Cuthbert or whatever was the Uh first episode and when she tried to say don't fuck it up I was like oh no like anybody is afraid if I'm fucking up in front of you
0: (laughs) yeah that was my only critique about the season was that they're trying to heavily produce it to make it sound like RuPaul saying these things even the catchphrases and stuff like that I was like uh, it's, use your own it's catchphrase so you know?
1: yeah well that, that it felt you know, make so it your for own. Me. I was like this is sad it makes it look like a cheap knockoff right yeah, like I think it's fine that you keep the idea of it's a drag race so you have your pit crew and like whatever those sort of things fine I get it this is a franchise like but RuPaul is not just part of the franchise. Like, RuPaul is an individual. And you can't just have some random C list actress say, don't fuck it up, and not have it look like the most ridiculous, like,
0: garage <laughs> version of a
1: show. So I was just like, this is not good. Not like, wait a good.
0: minute.
1: So I'm not impressed with the show and the way that they're producing the show. That said, the cast of Canada's Drag Race is <laughs> top fucking notch. <laughs> like, I'm in. I'm in love with almost all of them. Um, as soon as uh, God, what was what? Oh, Kine.
0: Oh yeah, you, are you are you fan of the, Kine? Yeah. <laughs> so she walks
1: in and she's like, "I'm a bitch," and I was like, "Yeah, okay." Like, You're to is get this your screen
0: time? I'm the Instagram queen. I make videos.
1: And in the year of rupaul 2020 do you really want to enter a room that's like a competition and say i'm a bitch and everybody's just like okay i I read you you. (laughs) we've seen enough reality shows to know like of course they always have some hideous bitch on there but that's not going to make anybody want to keep you around and spoiler alert Kine was kicked out on our ass episode two so you know
0: and was not happy about it well even the first uh judges critiques That's a no-no. Everyone knows that. If you watch the show, you're like, no.
1: She, okay. Kind stood up there with this look on her face. Like, (laughs) how dare you come at me? And she said, what did she say when when somebody said something about her outfit? And she said, oh, I think Alicia Cuthbert said like, your outfit is not my favorite this week. And she was like, this well, is, it's my favorite. My favorite
0: of the night, yeah. I'm
1: <laughs> like, okay, you know, I don't know. These, these are the kind of things where, but I'll tell you, I actually thought because she was such a bitch that like she was going to be the one that they keep around on purpose to antagonize everyone like most reality shows do. Yeah. So i was actually really pleased to see her get sent packing.
0: Well, I love the editing when they showed her running around trying to pick up half her costume that was falling apart on the stage.
1: No, I mean, it was so it was pretty pathetic that um her for the first challenge was that for them to make their own costume and her costume was literally falling apart on the runway <laughs> but she continued to tell everybody how she w- should have won i'm um, like you if you don't have any self-awareness at all i do not need to watch you on television no thank you.
0: even in the Untucked, when all the the girls were you know getting reading get, or talking about their critiques and having a drink and talking about it she was still surprised that she didn't win.
1: Not only that, but she was hideous. She was out loud, just like, I can't believe that. And who, and she was talking about my girl, Boa too. She was like, I cannot believe that Boa beat us. <laughs> I'm like, you know, Boa is right there. Like what the, what is wrong with you? Uh, another comment I had right off the bat was like, girl, I've only seen one season of RuPaul's Drag Race. And I already know that you're supposed to know how to sell. So how in the first episode of Canada do I have like four different contestants whining about how they don't know how to sew?
0: I they don't know how to sew. That's, that's, that's a given.
1: Come on. If you know you're going on the show, go learn a couple of stitches. Like I don't know how to sew, but I'm not signing up to be on a show where obviously I'm going to have to make my own costume. So that I found pretty aggravating about them. Um, All right, but let's back to the cast because the cast is what really is the best part. So the first mini challenge they have, they climb this mountain. And I don't know about you, but I <laughs> was kind of bored. Like, I didn't think it was that interesting of a challenge. I'm like, eh, whatever, like climbing a mountain. But then out comes Jimbo. <laughs> <laughs> and Jimbo was like, <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know how to, but he was like, this is so exciting. <laughs> Jimbo was thrilled by that mountain. And I was loving it. And Bo get excited about it. I was in for it. So, but up until then, I didn't really get. I mean, other than they're blowing a big fan and everybody's eyelashes are blowing off, what was the point of all that?
0: They always do. I've noticed in in the American seasons and some of the other ones, they always make them their first, I guess, challenge. Their first mini challenge is always maybe a picture, but something ridiculous. So, take a
1: picture so, with a fan blowing in your face.
0: Season two, they they had to do a gone with a wind uh, pose on a cannon and you just see the eyelashes just flapping <laughs> up and down <laughs> because the fan I, is
1: up. I mean the eyelashes were pretty ridiculous but Jimbo walked in and said oh a big slide. <laughs> that, was, that was the highlight of the episode for me. So. I mean you
0: saw season one where they had to do the car wash pose and they had to get wet.
1: Yes that I mean that's the only season I've seen and I I didn't get that I didn't love that first mini challenge in season one either. I'm not going to lie. I, I I almost couldn't get through the episode, the first episode. <laughs> I want you to know that I watched all eight episodes of season one of Drag Race. Like, in <laughs> row, start to finish. So I am qualified to talk about season one of Drag Race now. But that <laughs> first episode, I almost had to turn it off. I'm like, they're just going to pump water on each other on a car. Like, this is the most cliche like fake sexy photo shoot thing but it got
0: better and i appreciate that
1: you know part of the show is supposed
0: to be ridiculous now i'm glad you saw i'm glad you saw episode two um was it anastasia that had the really interesting story about being shot at this is because this is the first time that i mean of of the episodes that i've seen where someone had a a story like that and it was i mean those are the you know the kind of stereotypical reality tv show you know tearjerker stories and stuff like that but that was a legit heartbreaking story
1: okay so let's back up a second so um the story that was revealed on episode two of canada drag race um was a story that anastasia told about before she emigrated to Cam- Canada, she uh, or she was um, living in I think the Bahamas, and she talked about how there was a lot of hate crime there against gay people, and that she had had multiple friends who were killed, and that she had been shot, and um, she still lives with a I guess a bullet in a kidney, and she a bullet uh, kidney. yeah, and so she but she was able to moved to Canada after that, and she said it was a very easy process, like, yay Canada, she got asylum, essentially, it sounded like, um, as fleeing fleeing persecution, and now lives happily in Canada, so, you know, I I think that's like a very, it's it's like a good story, right, because all those girls that were surrounding her were mystified, dumbfounded, because they were all these girls who grew up in Canada, where it's like, okay to be gay and they all were like born in the 80s or thereafter so they just don't they never experienced um anything like that so i do think that you know in the midst of all this camp and glamour and drama (laughs) and pettiness there's also some like real stories being told which you know i I really did appreciate it
0: yeah it was a good Kind of a reminder, kind of to ground ourselves that we're lucky to be living where we're living.
1: Um, I would like to remind you, though, let's go back, 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 because no. as the person who's only seen one season of Drag Race, I'll remind you of the, I don't know which episode it was, but there was an episode in season one where they did a, like, um, a MAC campaign, and Angina was the winner, and she oh, broke the Viva the glam. Yeah, and she Angina was declared the winner and then broke down and confessed on television that she was living with HIV and that her parents weren't aware of it and that was, you know, sort of a similar kind of moment that um you you know, you get something you get you get sort of these insights that sometimes actually are very real and are very serious and are very important in the midst of reality shows that are mostly fucking ridiculous.
0: Oh yeah, every every season there's there's a couple stories that come out and you think, wow, you overcame that and look at you now, look what you're doing and you're showing your creativity and being this awesome drag queen. It's kind of crazy.
1: And then you have people who just like stick some straw in their boobs and call themselves <laughs> a Baba Duke, And you know, it's like from one <laughs> thing to the next, you're experiencing very different things.
0: <laughs> I did like her, uh, I think this is one of the first times they brought up someone who is uh, First Nations and also two-spirited, which that was interesting.
1: I mean I can't say that I again like don't, I don't have the history of knowing what's first and what's not but I'm not surprised that it would come up for the first time in Canada um, and, and I, did. I did yeah and I did think that was cool and alona is still around so I hope that we're going to hear more about that because I think it's something that not pe- people aren't super familiar with
0: yeah, that was interesting and I liked how she was, I forgot who she was when they were in the workroom working on their stuff, was explaining it to them and they were like, this is fascinating. This is really interesting. It's like, yes, there's a lot of communities out there.
1: <laughs> the world is a big place.
0: The world is the world is a big place.
1: So Dave, with all of your wealth of knowledge of the drag race franchise um, at home and abroad, where do you think Canada stacks up so far?
0: I really like this season um, and I like the cast. I'm, I'm putting up there and kind of giving it some high marks just because how unique it is and how quirky and fun everybody is.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, I can't so get, get scene, it. I mean, we're two episodes in and I don't have as much of a, much of a catalog to compare it to as you do. But uh, I'm
0: yeah, what... Yes. If you can get the world of wonder plus or you can stream it online, look on YouTube, on Facebook, Definitely check out Drag Race's Canada, or Canada's Drag Race.
1: We're two episodes in, but we're already giving it two thumbs up, I guess. Yeah. uh Well, Gabe, I have to say um, a hearty thank you for introducing me, making me finally sit down and watch some RuPaul's Drag Race, because I've been avoiding it for all these years somehow. And now, now and, I just have something else to keep me busy during the quarantine.
0: And now you're going to be the next super fan. <laughs> so tell us, Gabe, what is on tap this week for your sports topic? And now for my sports topic, I'm staying a little close to home and asking, what should be the new name of the Washington football team? Many Washingtonians and NFL fans have argued back and forth since the 1960s over the name and logo of the Burgundy and Gold. What some say is tradition and history others see as racist and degrading to an entire race. Sound familiar? The National Congress of American Indians recently called on players to, quote, sit at home rather than wear the NFL equivalent of the Confederate flag. The NFL has been slow to respond to race issues, but public pressure has been mounting, especially after the death of George Floyd. Major sponsors like FedEx and PepsiCo have recently stopped their financial support of the Washington football team. Nike, Target, and Walmart, and just recently Amazon, have also recently pulled merchandise from their shelves. On July 3rd, owner Dan Snyder announced that the team is currently holding an internal review of the team's name. Many sports analysts agree the next time the Washington football team takes the field post-COVID, it will be under a new name. All right, Laura, so you've been in D.C. for a while. What do you think our new team name should be? Should it be the Monuments, the Red Tails, the Cherry Blossoms?
1: What do you no. think? my answer to every option i've heard so far is no i don't i mean i think the washington monuments is so boring every all of the options i've heard so far i think are pretty lame frankly um i will say i get it like the red tails there's a lot of people who are obsessed with keeping the word red so that it sounds sort of similar to the old name to me i'm like yo part of the problem with the old name is that it's using the word red to describe people like maybe we should just get away from red <laughs> you know why get away from the <laughs> like why do we need it to sound anything like the name that we've all decided should be put into the trash heap of history so i don't know i don't like any of these names and i think it's pretty um it's pretty sad that nobody can come up with anything more creative than the generals or the monuments
0: uh well, side note, a little history: the DC GFFL, our first traveling team, name was the Monuments. We <laughs> won our first. Yeah, where the DC GFFL won their first Gable, uh, they were under the Washington Monuments.
1: I mean, okay, great, but there used to be a
0: Washington.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Washington Generals exist already too. Like, aren't they the? They the do. They're the. They're the one of the traveling were- teams. But they- I thought, isn't that the team that plays against the Globetrotters all the time? Aren't they the ge- Washington Generals? Or- oh,
0: maybe? I was thinking I think of the so. again.
1: Oh, you're thinking of the Gay Flag <laughs> Football League? I, I, I think yeah. that there are other names out there other than the Gay Flag Football League. I don't know what I'm looking for in a football name, but I'm looking for something that's a little bit more um, dynamic than
0: a statue. the fighting statues yeah
1: like oh the Washington monuments so basically we are a stone phallus no 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 this is it I don't think that's where we should go but I'll be honest I think that the Washington football team is a pretty sad excuse for a football team I think that the Washington football team their name is an atrocity but the football team for football fans they have a lot of other problems (laughs) like they're losing fans by the droves for all kinds of other reasons as well so I'm not super emotionally invested in uh what the new name should be it certainly shouldn't it certainly should change it should have changed a long an awful long time ago um but I I To me, this is what I think. I think there are a lot of people in this world who make a lot of money doing things like branding and, you know, coming up with catchy catchphrases and everything else. I think we can put a pause. We don't need a new name in a day. I think we can put a pause on this and maybe make a little bit more effort to come up with something a little bit more creative than the Washington Monuments.
0: (laughs) That's a given. I, mean,
1: I, I saw that one of the one of the um, popular with fan options is is the Washington Hogs, and I'm gonna go out and say I'm just gonna advise against that. I understand that a bunch of like diehard Washington football fans like it because it it is the nickname that I think it was their offensive line or something had during an era way back when the Washington football team won games every once in a while call it they had like that nickname and i get it for like the fans of the team It might bring you a little nostalgia to remember back to when your team won a game but the washington hogs is one of the worst names i've ever heard
0: um i do like the history of the red tails although i don't know if that's really a uh, dc history well it's Tuskegee airmen which is great but i don't think it's a regional thing
1: well i i i okay Number one, I don't think it necessarily has to be regional, and I do think it's a good history. I think it's cool, but I'll go back to the fact that I don't think we should have a name with the word red in it just because we're too slow to get over the fact that the old name had red, and we might not be able to figure out a new name if it doesn't have something red in it. Like, but also, I don't want to. I, I don't think we should be naming our team after anything that has to do with war. I just think like, yeah. in today's era, like let's just let's try to get away from like glorifying war when we live in a country where we can't feed our citizens, but we can, you know, build a space force. I just, let's stop glorifying war. I think we
0: have a lot of problems. The ones that are kind of funny too, are, you know, the Washington Americans. That's a 10 to one bet right now. That makes me crack up kind of like, uh, and I grew up from Texas, or grew up in Texas, and we have the Texans, but they're from Houston. So I was like, are you yeah, the entire you team for the state? You also have the Dallas
1: Cowboys who think they're America's team. I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot wrong with Texas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's kind of funny. I was like, you're the team for Texas in Houston. Okay, also, I'm, but they, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a sad Oilers. I remember the Oilers?
1: Well, yeah, I was going to say they, they were the Oilers when I was a kid. Here's going to be my guidance for naming sports teams going forward. No names that glorify war. No names that glorify fossil fuels. <laughs> no names that glorify capitalism. <laughs> and don't name your team the Wizards.
0: And don't be racist.
1: I mean, I think that's a given, right? There's a reason we're changing names right now is because we finally realize we shouldn't be racist. I, I don't know. I don't have an answer to the question of what the team name should be. I just know what it shouldn't be.
0: I mean, what would be quintessential D.C.? Like, didn't we have a time where manholes were on fire and shooting off? Couldn't we be the I flaming think that, manholes? I think the
1: manholes used to go flying. We could be the yeah, one be the
0: flying manholes. The flying manholes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I'll keep brainstorming on what I think the new name should be, but while we're at it, let's uh, make sure that somebody gets the message to the Cleveland Indians owner. Um, also, I hope they've stopped doing that tomahawk chop down in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess at the end of the day, wake up and uh, and evolve, people.
0: Yep. I'd be very interested to see what name they come up with. Hopefully we get a vote. Then I'll be happy. They, no. The citizens and the fans vote. Yeah, but you know what the
1: problem with that is, right? Like, then you end up with Bodie McBoatface. Yeah. <laughs> you can't if you put it, up, it like when you put things up to a public vote inevitably some somebody is gonna like make it turn it into an awful awful thing people are, humans can't be trusted in this day and age
0: We <laughs> would be footy mcfoot face with the <laughs> washington football team
1: yeah i don't know it's 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 not good it's 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 not great gabe Um, Let's talk for for one second about how sincere do you think some of these companies like FedEx and PepsiCo are?
0: uh, To me personally, I think it's now that the NFL is looking internally on all the race issues that are going on, especially with the Colin Kaepernick thing, um, especially now with George Floyd and how the country's kind of getting together with the whole black lives matter movement. I think now, is a perfect time to start you know getting the ball rolling and making sure that we you know get some some good changes done uh, and I think they are seeing some uh that these companies are seeing some backlash from people
1: you think it's more that the societal um society as a whole has come along far enough that the companies like FedEx and Pepsi are starting to see like real financial reasons before like when a Black Lives Matter movement would say boycott Pepsi, Pepsi didn't worry about it because there weren't enough people paying close enough attention to Black Lives Matter that the boycott would be big enough. Would actually
0: do something like you're seeing it now with the whole Goya foods thing.
1: Well, Um, I I agree with you though. I think that it's more, um, it is more that the general population as a whole has, you know, you can see it now in these polls, how many people are supporting Black Lives Matter. I hope that what's also going to start happening is that big companies like FedEx and Pepsi and Nike are going to also start hiring part of this moment. I hope is going to be that they're going to start focusing on hiring more diverse staffs, staffs themselves, Mm -hmm. so that they will also have internal people who want to make these changes and are um, sort of organically proposing types of changes and evolution within these companies. And that it doesn't always have to be force and outside pressure um i don't think any of us should start thinking that dan snyder has suddenly had a moral awakening or a reckoning maybe he has like as we just said a lot of the country has come a long way on this issue in the last year and even in the last couple of months so maybe dan snyder is one of them but i'm gonna go ahead and assume it's mostly just the fedex money that's talking to him
0: (laughs) it's starting to hit him financially and yeah he's has to uh make some changes yeah. now because he even said uh, he kind of just said um i still have my beliefs but this is what i'm gonna do because yeah, he's they're like making, they're i'm making still racist it,
1: as fuck and i don't care
0: do
1: it. <laughs> yeah i don't care about your feelings but <laughs> i do care that i'm not gonna get those nike dollars <laughs> what an asshole um all right well if i have to put my If I have to put my support behind any of the Washington, D.C. names, I'm going to vote for the Washington Blossoming Cherries.
0: I still want the flying manholes. (laughs) I think that would be great.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, um, here's to hoping they come up with something better before the NFL season starts up again.
0: (laughs) Yes, and go manholes.
1: (laughs) Um, All right. Fantastic. So (laughs) – I think that brings us, Gabe, to the intersection of sports and queer, and I cannot wait to hear what you have for me (laughs)
0: for this
1: week's topic.
0: (laughs) All right, for this week's topic on the intersection of sports and queer, we're going to discuss everyone's favorite summer sport, snowboarding. (laughs) All right, so it's a little early for snowboarding in the Northern Hemisphere, but this week, five professional snowboarders came out as LGBTQ. Tanner Pendleton, Jake Kuzik, Kennedy Deck, Chad Unger, and Jill Perkins each came out within a week. In a Pride interview published by Torment Magazine, Tanner Pendleton spoke out about what it's like to be out in the world of professional snowboarding. Pendleton was interviewed by a close friend who didn't even know he was gay until he decided to do the interview. His story as the first openly gay American snowboarder inspired four other snowboarders to share their story. In times like these, it's great to see LGBT visibility in all sports communities, no matter how small, and how one story could inspire other people also to share their stories.
1: Yeah, I'm inspired. But before we get there, can we back up one second? I want to talk about naming a magazine Torment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh, (laughs) Torment Magazine. (laughs) So
1: I'm not familiar with this magazine, (laughs) but I question, I question. I just (laughs) want it
0: out
1: there. I also... um, so you know I have to say I I saw this story and I my immediate thought was like wait snowboarding's not queer like I don't know I mean <laughs> I don't know anything about snowboarding but for some reason it feels to me like it should have always been super queer like like I feel the same about skateboarding you know for the last few years like um I've there's like this show Betty on HBO I don't know if you've ever seen it but it's like all about these lesbian skateboarding people like There's just seems to be a lot of um, queerness in these sport, this sport world because, and I guess because like, snowboarding and skateboarding sort of seem like counterculture or like like a fringe on the sports world. They're not like mainstream. So I guess I would, I, I guess I'm my initial reaction to this was pretty surprised that apparently snowboarding is this very like hyper masculine. Community where these guys didn't feel comfortable previously coming out—that really was surprising to me. I don't know if you follow snowboarding, Gabe.
0: Well, I was reading some of the—I read the article and I was doing a little research. But uh, yeah, what Tanner was saying—that he he thought his career was over. He thought you know they made this uh, movie with Vans, which is the shoe company. I know Vans. I'm a Vans kid. Okay, (laughs) for for, for some of our listeners, Vans is a shoe company.
1: Just think gleaming the cube no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: uh but he he basically said you know i'm gonna I'm gonna film this snowboarding film we're gonna premiere it and I'm gonna come out and this might be the end yeah like the end vans, of my career
1: Vans wouldn't want anything to do with them after that or Van,
0: you know fans are gonna you know I'm gonna lose my fans I'm gonna lose the support of some of my other snowboarding friends this is it uh, so he film the movie and they were actually talking uh in one of the articles he was talking about when he was editing the film he was super anxious and super uh you know troubled and upset and people were like wow you're really into this movie and it wasn't so much you know the <laughs> Yeah they the didn't realize the he had a lot
1: yeah he had a lot more on his mind like going on in the back of his head than any of them realized
0: and you know the first thing he did was he uh after after they finished wrapping up production he went home Uh, came out to his family and then slowly started coming out to some of his friends and stuff and was for the most part uh, there was a lot of support and a lot of positivity which blew him away and that's why he decided to do this article with torment with one of his close friends who interviewed him who didn't even know that he was gay
1: yeah well i mean welcome out tanner i um you know we invite you to the community and i I, you know, I don't mean to make light of it. I think it's great when people, for whatever reason, anytime that anybody um, decides that it, that they're ready to live their life more openly, more honestly, and share more of themselves, the world. I think that's fantastic. So I'm happy for him and I'm happy for the sport of snowboarding, both because it has now more representation and because apparently um, it is a much more welcoming community than he might have feared. I'm happy for him. And, and you're right. I also will say I completely agree with you that it's always amazing when you see how one person kind of living authentically can inspire so many other people to have the courage to do the same. And that probably means so much to Jake and Kennedy and Chad and Jill. Um, so, you know, I, I give um i give tanner a ton of credit for that
0: yeah because a lot of the other snowboarders are saying oh the tanner's story in that article is what kind of propel, propel them on instagram and other uh, i guess sources of media to actually come out and say you know what if he was able to do that you know i feel inspired to do it as well um and they give him credit for that which is great but even uh there's some parts where tanner was talking about he was always afraid he knew that he was gay, but he, at an early age, but was always afraid that it was going to be labeled as the gay snowboarder. Or uh, he was talking about you know driving to some event somewhere, and he was falling asleep and he was getting really tired, but he just you know wanted to keep going because he he wanted to be known as the guy who was able to drive the whole group to some ski lodge or something, not right. as the gay guy who couldn't drive and was tired and stopped.
1: Yeah. So there was well- a lot of. I mean, I think anybody who ever, look, no, I don't think anybody really, you know, grows up and is like, I hope that someday I can be defined by one part of myself, right? Like, (laughs) you know, nobody wants to be known just for being the gay anything or, you know, the Hispanic anything or the black anything, you know, you don't want to be, Defined by one of your characteristics because we're human beings and we all have so many different parts that make up the whole of who we are, and it feels very reductive, right? When somebody just is like, "Oh, he's the gay scape," you know, gay snowboarder, you know, he probably wants people to focus on his accomplishments as a snowboarder, right? So, it is. I get it. I totally do. But that having been said, I'm glad. You know, I, you know, we talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about when Jason Collins came out and how he said when he came out, you know, I really wish I wasn't the first person doing this, but since nobody else has done it, I'm going to do it. And that's right. You know, sometimes somebody just has to be first and, um, and it means a lot, you know, and it doesn't mean that he deserves to be reduced to the gay snowboarder going forward. But it does mean, I think, that he can be celebrated for being the first person to start a conversation in a community that needed to have the conversation, obviously. The fact that four other people within one week were, you know, impacted enough that they were like, oh, I can come out now. And they came out that fast. That fast. It was four in a week. Right. So clearly, people were waiting for this to happen. So, you know, while I don't want to see him reduced going forward to just the gay skateboarder or snowboarder, I think it's hugely important to acknowledge that he obviously changed a community by being the first person to announce that he was a gay snowboarder. And that's awesome. Hooray for Tanner and all the others that came out this week. And I hope that it's just the beginning of a huge snowball effect. (laughs) Uh
0: Uh I mean, hopefully we see them in Beijing in 2022. We'll see
1: here's hoping for more gay athletes everywhere just yelling and screaming from the rooftops about how queer they are.
0: <laughs> and <to> their <laughs> inspiring stories that inspire other people to come out as well.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Gabe, once again, I thank you for a, another riveting conversation. And for all of the cool topics that you brought up that I probably wouldn't have thought about this week if you <laughs> didn't make me, um, I will be sure to report back soon on my uh, progress through the RuPaul's Drag Race seasons. I, well, that's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of All Things Queer, All Things Sports, and the Things at the Intersection of Sports and Queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will share with you our interview with Krista McFerrin. Yay! Okay, welcome back. Uh, We're joined today by a local athlete. Her name is Krista McFerrin. Welcome, Krista.
2: Thank you so much, Laura. My pleasure.
1: Glad to talk to you. Uh, Krista played rugby with the Maryland Stingers from 1989 to 1991, and again from 1997 to 98. She also played rugby for the United States national team from 1989 until 1994, and again from 1997 to 1998. That, of course, includes um, Krista's involvement um, as a member of the U.S. team that won the first ever Women's Rugby World Cup in 1991, as well as the teams that were Rugby World Cup runners-up in 1994 and 1998. Uh, Anything else on your highlight reel that you want to share with us, Krista, before we get started?
2: No, those are are pretty much the highlights. (laughs) Playing sevens in Hong Kong was pretty darn cool too, in front of a, a, a stadium full of 40, probably about 40,000 people. That was pretty cool. That was in 2001, I think. So that was a little bit after 15s, there was seven. So.
1: Yeah, I should say Krista was on the U.S. Women's National Sevens team in both 1997 and 2001. So, how many caps altogether do you have, Krista?
2: You know, that was when record keeping wasn't very good, and you know, when I was playing, actually, the internet was pretty brand new, and so everything was kind of kept in somebody's file cabinet somewhere. But I, I honestly, Laura, I honestly do not know. Isn't that amazing? I don't know. I don't know that they they have an official tally because. Because as we were talking prior to this, you know, things back in 1991, I mean, 1991 was the first World Cup. But the acceptance of women playing rugby in the world, in the United States, they didn't really care so much about us. But in the rugby playing countries, they did care. And so they really didn't care that records weren't kept because they partly didn't want to recognize us. So some of the early caps were nobody ever really was sure if it was truly the national team because it wasn't authorized by the U S rugby national society, but it was the U S team and it was playing it against other national teams. It was just hard to get uh, official records in the record books. So.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting uh, sort of trajectory that you've uh, witnessed firsthand. Why don't you just speak a little bit about, can you tell us how you, how you've seen the game, grow and change from the perspective of a woman playing rugby in the United States over the course of the last, what is it, 30, 40 years?
2: Yeah, pretty close to that. You know, back in, back in, back on the wild in the wild, wild West on the frontier, um, back in, back in the, the five or six years prior to the 91 world cup. I mean, there was a, there was a very active, uh, women led, um, movement to get rugby going obviously much like the covid virus it had hot spots in various parts of the country and communication back in those days was a lot harder as was traveling um but it was it was women that wanted to play the sport and it was women that were leading their college teams or their club teams and as the word slowly got out um there were hot spots in california up in boston and in florida were the three big ones uh, soon after that, there was one that popped up in the Midwest in the uh, Chicago, Minnesota area that uh, was kind of a, but these were all teams that were, were women just putting flyers up wherever they could, asking friends to come out that had played other sports, coaching themselves, figuring out the rules themselves, and a big credit to the United States at that point was title nine was empowering women to be athletes. Um, And so we had a lot of athletes coming from alternate sports that were done with college now. And really when you think of adult sports, post-college sports for women, I mean, what, Gabe, tell me a sport you think of that women play after college.
0: Oh, that'd be tough, especially in, you know, late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Um, tennis
2: golf which ones are team sports i mean softball and softball was usually co-ed and slow pitch and pretty recreational casual so i mean it was it was i mean i was a field hockey scholarship athlete when i came out of college and i you know granted i was i was tired from playing collegiate sports so i wasn't absolutely anxious but i found softball before i found rugby um and, you know, and, and played that, but it, 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 it I, as much as I love softball, and there's a lot of great things about it, it's, you, when you're playing center field, you could be picking flowers out there for a lot of the games, so, um, so it just wasn't enough activity for me, Um, so anyway, my point back was, rugby was a, was kind of a, a front, on a frontier there, but it was, it was also providing an outlet for women athletes that didn't have another team sport to do. And that was one of the most beautiful things about rugby in the early, in the early decade probably was that it, you were, you were, you were literally on the frontier of something and you were literally doing it because you and your teammates and, you know, maybe a few administrators, usually almost all women. I think we got a few men's coaches in there, mostly from overseas, you know, a few years into it, but you were doing it and you were figuring out a way to find another team to play and go into Boston or go into Florida to do it. And they were also, uh, organized enough to get together some national championships so all of a sudden you're on a team sport that's with a lot of cool people most of them already have graduated from well all of them had already graduated from college because there was no collegiate rugby at that point and they were into their professional lives so it was it was like a social sport league you know because you were meeting people and you were you were training and you were well we're training and you were you were meeting a lot of really pretty cool people in a really cool sport doing things you never ever probably thought you were going to do so and i mean that on the field not off the field
0: we have a few listeners that probably might not be um as up to date on what rugby actually is so can you explain to us in your words what is the sport of rugby the sport of rugby was,
2: and this is interesting because when I was young, I kind of had to ask that same question. The sport of rugby is is kind of a combination of football in that it's a football-sized shaped ball, but it looks like it's kind of overinflated and pregnant. Um, and it's like football because it's tackling. But it's also like soccer in that it's continuous play. So, So rugby has the has the the full contact of football in an organized fashion it has a ball kind of like football But like soccer, it's continuous play where you're lateraling the ball. It keeps going. You don't have set downs unless there is something that has gone wrong. A rule has been broken. Then there's a restart of play. But it's not set downs. And you can keep playing as long as you keep the ball and keep not breaking the rules until you get into the try zone, which is the equivalent of a touchdown. Um, it's just like football where you have to get into the end zone. There's no, no goal that you have to hit like soccer. The, the different thing about football and rugby is that when you get into the end zone, you can't spike the ball or put your hands up or act like you're, you're wonderful. Cause you have to actually put the ball on the ground and leave it there. Um, and that it's only when the ball is, has pressure onto the ground that it's considered a try. Um, it's also like soccer in that you can kick the ball at any time. Uh You can kick it to advance it. you can kick it in the air. you can kick it on the ground. You can kick it uh out of bounds you would you the other team gets the ball if you kick it out of bounds, but they have to earn it through a line out um so it's got both hand eye coordination and also eye foot coordination so it's 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 a really a beautiful blend of things uh The other thing about rugby is kind of like football in that you have different body types and that was one of the really wonderful things about the sport is that you have you have people that are the more the power positions that that, are, that are, are usually bigger physically maybe stronger physically and they they are the ones that are usually rewinning the ball so it would be the equivalent of the linemen or the linebackers in in football and then you have a scrum half which is kind of the equivalent of a quarterback who's kind of the connection between the more powerful people and then you have the backs which are usually a little bit quicker a little bit faster Um, so sometimes a little bit slighter but not always Um, but anyway at any point any one of those people can interchange Um, so you you could have somebody that was four foot ten and 105 pounds who is your scrum half or your hooker And then you could have somebody that is a lock, which is one of the bigger, more powerful people, who's six foot three and 220 pounds. And they are playing the same game with the same rules, And the same full tackling. And it's just, and it works. It works because different skills. And if you don't have the ball, you can't be tackled. So you just spin it to somebody else. If your big girl's coming at you and you don't want to get tackled, you give it to somebody else. And it it keeps the game flowing. It's really very nice.
1: That's a pretty good uh, Rugby 101, Krista. I I get the impression you've given that speech. Do you remember? your first training session with the Eagles or your first match with the Eagles, did you have any special feeling playing for the United States and representing your country?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it was we played up in Canada and in Canada, rugby is a bigger sport. Uh, than it is here in the United States, um, and we played up in Canada and putting on that jersey, I think I have a picture of the scoreboard back in the background and they had they had rugby stadiums up there too you know it, it, you know I, it 's powerful i mean it 's powerful it doesn 't matter i mean and and when we walked on that field in Canada, there wasn 't one single person in that stand except for the people we'd brought with us that that was rooting for us so i 'll tell you you talk about. The pride that you get and the and the the I mean it's it's like you get a buzz inside you I mean it's and you look at your teammates and it's it's a magical thing it really is when that national anthem plays and when you step on on that field it's truly magical no matter no matter who knows you're even doing it you know so yes very
1: cool. Um, I know that after your playing days or maybe there was some overlapping time that you did some coaching in rugby. What's your favorite part about coaching rugby?
2: Uh, I, I, you know, as you as obviously rugby takes a toll on your body and there's only so long you can play. Um, but. It's. It seems to be that as it's as your body is slowing down, that the game seems to speed up in your brain. So you start to be begin to see things that you didn't used to see, and it makes the game easier. Um, you can't. You can no longer just count on your legs or your muscles to, to get you through something. Now you have to kind of be smart enough. You have to know the rules. You have to know how to set things up. You have to be able to read the defense. And so for me, at least in the last couple of years, I played rugby, my, my motto was when I went out on the field and I knew my knees were given out and I knew my shoulder was messed up and I knew, you know, whatever. Um, I, my, I, I couldn't run as fast. I, I would say to myself, you know, it's okay, Krista, just make a difference to the people that are right next to you. You know, you can see things that they can't see. So help them. Um, and, and I guess that's when I kind of said, I guess, I guess I could coach too, you know. Um, And I was very lucky in that a a couple of my other teammates had already retired and were already coaching teams. Um, And so they provided opportunities for me to go Under uh, under the wing of what they had already worked hard to establish and um, and come join them. Um, So that's that's kind of what led to me being able to coach with the national team for the 2006 and 2010 World Cups. It was because two teammates of mine who both were on the 1991 roster, Kathy Flores and uh, Candy Orsini, uh we're we're had had gone through the whole process with usa rugby and the interviews and everything and they were awarded the women's head coaching and assistant coaching jobs so when they asked me to join them i was like wow this is this is a that was just as enormous as anything else that i'd earned on the field so
1: well it's a it's an incredible um honor to be asked to do something like that and i um You know, and I I have no doubt that that you were had a tremendous impact on a lot of people. Um, Given all your background, both as a player and a coach, could you share with us? Do you have any tips that you would share with young people who are looking to succeed um, in rugby particular or um, in athletics or just in life in general?
2: Yeah, no, I think that in in, if you take all three of those life in general, athletics and rugby, You know, as the mother of a 14-year-old, I I, I tell my daughter every day, I was like, there's so much that you can learn and so much that you can build by being a member of a team sport, whatever that is, or being an individual sport, because often that's part of a team, even though you're swimming your race or playing your tennis match by yourself. You're usually within a team environment, um, because... the 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 behind the scenes dynamics that occur and that the things the worldly things the life things that you learn through relationships through disappointments through uh picking yourself up by your bootstraps and getting back up and saying i'm going to work harder next time and i'm going to do it better next time the ability to put your arm around a teammate that's upset or your ability to put your arms in the air with teammates when you have won it's 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 a powerful thing for a little human being to to learn via sports and and it translates into every aspect of your life. I mean, it, it's kind of like when I was in the military, it's kind of like the. It, it it It's the same as when you go with your platoon somewhere and we would go out and be in the desert somewhere and we would go for a week at a time and have to survive. You become a team and you learn lots of things about those people and about yourself that make you a better human being, you know, not just in that circumstance, but going forward. So I, I push Parker. I'm like, team sports are great just you know keep doing them it's it's does you don't have to be good you just have to be out there and you have to be part of the sport and that and I guess I'll take that with that too with rugby particularly there is a place for everybody on a rugby team you know i mean if you're injured you can you can still help you can do things on the sidelines if you're if you're like i said big or small there is a place for you on the field if you're older and you and you can't play anymore there are place. there are so many things that you can do around the the administrative or the the functional side of the team that are enormous and often unrecognized so there's there's anybody can, can look out their dorm window and say, what are those people doing? And run down there and say, well, I don't really want to be on the field, but you can, you can, you can be part of that team one way or the other. So it's, 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 it's good.
0: All right. We're, we're lucky in DC to have a couple um, LGBT inclusive team, rugby teams uh, in the area. Uh, do you think rugby is a pretty inclusive sport or is it kind of growing?
2: You know honestly, Gabe, I mean, I think that rugby is the all inclusive sport and always has been the all inclusive sport. It was one of the places where um from from day one you were allowed to be exactly who you wanted to be out there um, and you know some people would say that we looked like a bunch of misfits, but we were we were a pack of misfits, and we were empowered by allowing people to just be who they were and not asking them to be anything different because you know they were they were there for us when we were on the field they were there for us on training and when we went out we went out together and you know we were we're we're backing up anybody get you know that was getting crap from somebody so it it, and that wasn't a day when that that was not normal um you know we We obviously made some choices to go to places where we could be that way a little bit more, you know, um, so that we could have fun. Because all we were looking for is to have good, good, innocent fun. Um, But it was it it was difficult early on. um, And I would say of the people, there were probably more gay people or more um, than there were straight people initially, partly because it was a haven for you to come and be okay with being who you were. Um, the beautiful thing about it is, is that it's, it's continued to be all inclusive and it's continued to be, to allow people to, to navigate things. I mean, when I was down at the, uh, women's referees and coaches, uh, society, uh, which is, uh, there was a big meeting down there. They had one of the ice hockey coaches and collegiate ice hockey coaches come and talk about inclusivity and how she'd lost a job recently because partly because of, of the lack of inclusivity at the school that she was at um so you know it's still it's still very much it, as we can see in the national ongoings lately there's still a lot of of things that are underneath the surface and you know there are there are lots of places where you are you you cannot be all of yourself um or you you're almost forced to choose not to be all of yourself and if you choose to to buck that. It can be with peril. Um, but that is not, that is not rugby and that is not the rugby world.
1: All right. I think that's a great place to, to close out for today. Thanks Krista for joining us. It was really fun to talk to you and I'm glad that you uh, were able to make the time to share with us.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. And Gabe, it's really nice to, to, I hope we get to meet in person. Nice to hear your voice. And Laura, thank you so much for organizing.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org.
1: We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com, and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast, and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers.
0: Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Frayer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.